If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. We're now number two, this live broadcast, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello to everybody in the TNT chat room. Hope you guys are doing well. And what a heady conversation with Mr. Basil Valentine uh, before the break. Definitely one of the smartest men in the room and a great privilege to be able to uh, check in with Basil on all these important stories because he's uh, certainly got great perspective and a good pedigree in terms of politics on this. So anyway, look, on the American front and for our American audience, um, Basil brought up an interesting point that I'd like to riff off of uh, right now because it's really important. I've noticed this and it bothers me that if you look at, and obviously we have checked this with our... uh, Israeli contacts as well. Yes, we do have Israeli contacts, along with other contacts around the world, that Benjamin Netanyahu is doing more U.S. media spots right now than he is Israeli media spots. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? You can only guess that this is because Netanyahu is not very popular at home with his own people in the state of Israel. So things are not going well in the state of Israel for Netanyahu. The war is not going as advertised. But if you watch the propaganda blitz in the United States, you'd think it's all going swimmingly well. The anti-terror operation has never been more successful. They're racking up the dead bodies. Everybody's celebrating. This is a great success. And Bibi is presiding over all of it. The man who saved Israel and defeated Hamas. Okay, that's the... That's the general storyline that you're getting on Fox, generally on CNN, with a few exceptions there. They run one or two segments a day that uh, criticize the Israeli airstrikes and targeting of hospitals over the last week or so. That's, of course, somewhat of a consolation uh, on the U.S. media side. But overwhelmingly, it is the uh, IDF and BB show. And he's doing the rounds on just about every network. It's almost as if he's desperate. He's desperate to get this idea across that if this is the greatest sort of military venture of all time, he's finally realizing the goals of Israel. They may even get some land out of it uh, in terms of what they're able to annex in northern Gaza. You're not talking about the gas fields off the coast of Gaza, of course. That's going to be kept hush-hush for a while until things calm down a little bit. But the thing when I was listening to his clips that struck me was this. He said that we're fighting for you. Uh, we're fighting over here for you, America. In other words, we're going to defeat these, uh, I guess, the Muslims, the Arabs, whatever, Hamas, terrorism, whatever. It's all one sort of soup, uh, how it's being framed in the U.S. media. We're defeating them over here so they won't come over and attack you in America. It's basically what Netanyahu has been saying as part of his talking point uh lectures that he's doing on on u.s media so and he's saying america is next if israel loses the war think about that for a minute what sort of demagoguery and fear-mongering is this so netanyahu's saying that uh there must be total victory in gaza what does that mean what is that what does that mean total victory how could he ever achieve total victory is it is total victory a final solution Is this what he means? Because you're not going to eradicate or uh, destroy, or uh, I've even seen the word exterminate 
Hamas. Exterminate, as if you're talking about insects or animals. This is what the Israeli defense ministers have said. These words have been used by politicians as well. So he said there will be no substitute for total victory in Gaza. And if we don't achieve total victory in Gaza, says Netanyahu, that America's next. That there'll be, what does he mean? It sounds like a dog whistle for what? Another 9-11? So here we go. Turn back the clock. Keep turning back the clock. And you have these aging uh, warmongers and despots in these positions of power. They're still trading on the same tropes that they traded on 30 years ago. Okay, Netanyahu is one of them. Is probably arguably the worst right now. So he's saying that Islamic militants will pose a direct threat to the United States and Europe if Israel loses its current war with Hamas. Well, they're not at war with Hamas. It's not a war. They're literally occupying Palestinian territory and they're bombing civilians and causing the ethnic cleansing and forced deportation of a whole population. That's not war. It's war crimes. So, but he's saying if we don't, if we're not successful in what? Flattening Gaza, pushing everybody into the Sinai Desert. What is success? What is total victory? He's not very specific about this, but yet he's allowed to say this with no pushback on the U.S. media, which I find to be incredible. But anyway, he goes on. If if Israel loses this war, then somehow Islamic terror will flood Europe and the United States. So you need to back us here in Israel to exterminate Hamas, to save you from future waves of uh, terrorist attacks. So in other words, <laughs> it's like, what, how, and how does that work, by the way? If, if Hamas is based in Gaza, and, and clearly their main, their, their main focus has to be survival of their people in Gaza, okay? It's the government of Gaza and the Palestinian resistance factions, armed resistance. So that it seems to be their land, their people, the survival of their of their, you know, I don't know, race or community or nation. Okay. Whatever however you want to describe describe it. Let's call it a nation of Palestinian people. That seems to be their priority. So if if do you do you think they're gonna be dispatching all of their efforts into the somehow sneaking into the U.S. or Europe somehow and constructing some elaborate terror cells and then carrying out the next 9-11s. Do you really believe that? It's never been in their MO before, not in the West anyway. And people say, oh, but the Munich Olympics and the raid on Antibes and all this stuff. Minor, okay, minor. These are high-profile terror, so-called terror events. In the 70s, yeah, they might have terrorized some people at the time, but they kind of pale in comparison to what we're seeing today, what we're actually seeing in Gaza. That's real state-sponsored terror. The carpet bombing of densely populated civilian areas using a U.S.-level military to attack civilians indiscriminately. That's, that's a level of terror that you can't even comprehend in the West. We've never seen it. Not for a long time. You could say World War II was the last time you've seen it. Or if you're a Yugoslavian, when NATO bombed Yugoslavia. Or if you're a Libyan, you could say when NATO bombed Libya. Or if you're a Syrian, you can say when NATO and its allies waged a dirty proxy war against Syria. You see where we're going with this. Who, who are the real terrorists? 
Where's the real terror? Let's add it up. Do you want to do accounting on this? Because if you did do an audit of what, you know, how many people have been actually killed or terrorized as a result of which entities, it wouldn't be some obscure uh, Palestinian faction, resistance faction. They're not even in the top 100. They're not even on the list, to be quite frank. So let's talk about Operation Gladio. Ah, we can't talk about Operation Gladio. Yep, that was NATO intelligence. Actually, to be more accurate, a CIA cell embedded within NATO intelligence, which was uh, impossible to stop at the time. That was NATO launching terrorist attacks across Europe for decades in order to influence and steer political outcomes, you see. Okay, these are facts. I don't make them up. They might be inconvenient. They might make you uncomfortable, but they're just facts. That's just history. History is something that not everybody is comfortable with, of course. But anyway, so Netanyahu goes on and he's still trying to paint this clash of civilizations like Israel's somehow the bulwark against the the, the barbarian hordes of, of Arabia going to come and besiege uh, Europe in the U.S., so you must give us all your weapons, your support, and total loyalty, and swallow our propaganda wholesale. This is basically what Netanyahu is saying. Meanwhile, he can't even do media interviews at home because nobody likes him anymore. He's hated. His poll numbers are, have cratered. His government approval has cratered. Nobody is ha proud or happy, really, except for, I guess, their supporters in the U.S., mainly outside the country. Inside the country, yeah, the settlers, the Ben Gavirs, the small churches of the world, they're very happy with the violence, and they love the carpet bombing. They think it's wonderful. They want more of it, in fact. But these are the radical, far-right ethno-nationalists, okay? These would be your equivalent of the, uh, the, the worst elements of politics in the West. But that's part of Benjamin Netanyahu's, Netanyahu's glorious coalition in, in, in Israel. So the Prime Minister Netanyahu acknowledged that Washington has been very supportive of these war crimes in Gaza, very happy with the U.S. support for the ethnic cleansing, happy with the British support for the ethnic cleansing for the genocide of the Gazan residents, very happy with all of that. Um, and he rejects any calls for a ceasefire, however, you see, wants to keep it going. We talked about the five-day truce. I don't know. I'm not holding my breath that Israel's going to basically come good on that. I really I really don't. So he's insisting it would amount to a surrender to Hamas. So that's what he really believes, is that a ceasefire equals a surrender to Hamas. Now, there are so-called intellectuals and so-called conservative influencers on ex-Twitter and other platforms, Instagram, okay, that they agree with Netanyahu. They say a ceasefire would amount to surrender to Hamas. So there is no ceiling in terms of civilian deaths, injuries, casualties, missing, etc. for these people, these pundits. This is completely irrational. There's no, this is a morally indefensible position, and it shows a level of ethical and moral bankruptcy on those advocating for it, and, and really a naivety of international relations of history. And I don't really think they're thinking through the blowback on this. It's going to be severe. So everybody who's posted in support of this, these war crimes on social media, they're 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 throwing their weight around, 
saying that if you support uh, a ceasefire or if you somehow support or sympathetic to the Palestinian people, then you're in league with terrorists. You should be deplatformed, canceled, put on some list, arrested. Who knows? Okay. That's the line that they're pushing. But actually, the opposite is true. The opposite is true is because the global opinion is going to shape the arc of this story. Not the United States, not not Washington, not London, not Brussels, not Tel Aviv. That's your axis right there. That's not going to determine the arc of this narrative internationally and in history. This The arc of this narrative will be determined by the people, by the people of the world and how they view the issue, not Benjamin Netanyahu, not his radical ethno-nationalist far-right racist coalition how else can you describe it i mean you don't want to give these people rights you don't want to be equal citizens you're basically running a a a more brutal version of south of south african apartheid and you're bombing them and not only that you're bombing them as they flee to the hospitals for treatment you're bombing the hospitals where did south africa ever do where did the apartheid regime in south africa ever do that they didn't but we're watching it happen now. Some people are shocked by it. Others are cheering it on and rationalizing it and saying, this is great. This is how you defeat Hamas. This is totally insane. So, you know, take your blue pill, your red pill on this folks, or take your black pill and your red pill, whatever the case is, but you know, wake up and smell the coffee. That's all we can say to some people. Let's take a break here with TNT today's news talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be back on the other side with our great friend and writer, financial pundit, Blake Lovewell, all this and more stick around. TNT Radio's Rick Munn. I'm looking also at South Africa in terms of uh, ESCOM, which is a company that we have talked about a lot here. That's the South African electricity provider. ESCOM has posted a massive 24 billion rand loss for 2022-2023 financial year, exacerbated by a huge escalation in load shedding, which is basically blackouts, for want of a better expression, mounting municipal debt and skyrocketing losses due to criminal activity. That's both within the company, I would say, and outside of the company. The group presented its first full-year financials for the 12 months ending 31st of March on Tuesday. It said the year was characterized by a significant deterioration of performance, including a steep decline in energy availability of 56%, down from 62%. So half the country are having difficulty getting any electricity at all. And most places are undergoing what's called uh, load shedding, which means for up to 10 hours per day, you could be disconnected from the electricity supply in South Africa. Locked and loaded with Rick Munn on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the President. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming President of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion 
to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. This moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat, people will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. You're listening to TNT Today's News Talk. Look, we're live and direct for the next two hours. We're in the second hour right now of this live broadcast. And I want to welcome uh, onto the stage a good friend, a trusty uh, financial pundit, uh, but also a very insightful writer too, Blake Lovewell from the United Kingdom, joining us on the live link right now. Blake, how are you doing? Hello, Patrick, and hey, listeners out there. Um, yeah, doing very well here. Um, yeah, hope everyone out there is doing fine and hanging on in there. We're, we're we're trying our best it's uh it's more difficult for some than others uh depending on how deeply ensconced they are in all of this i mean the realizations the epiphanies that are coming by the minute are just incredible i'm seeing transformations mm -hmm. right across the board and people's uh realizations political awareness and attitudes like the likes of which well this is a, a real sea change event we're seeing in the middle east i remember the conversation we had uh last week blake on this we were talking about yeah Israel's economy and uh mm. I just wanted to give you an update on this and maybe get your co comment on it as well the mm -hmm. war debt that they're accumulating is substantial so the government is having to basically spin up another 8 billion uh to cover liabilities since October 7th and 30 billion shekels that's 30 billion shekels 7.8 billion dollars equivalent uh of in debt since the start of the conflict so they're going to have to backstop their currency which arguably is very weak anyway 
Mm. And according to the Ministry of Finance there, it's a, I wonder what that's like these days in their offices in Tel Aviv mm -hmm. anyway, $4.1 billion of that um, was dollar-denominated debt raised in issuances in international markets. Blake, they're going to the mm -hmm. international money markets to try yeah. to subsidize the Israeli war. This is incredible. Go ahead. What do you think? Yeah, well, um, when when we're looking at figures like, uh, yeah, the billions being offered on international markets to, to fund Israel's war, um, it's not you, I, or I suspect most of the listeners of uh, TNT Radio that are, are buying up that sovereign debt. It's a, it's a much murkier picture. And um, I think if we actually knew who was buying up the debt, I think we'd see a, a myriad network that uh, links very quickly, uh, fewer than two degrees of separation, um, back to the beneficiaries. Good point. Very, um, very good point. And, and it reminds me, similarly, yeah. uh, I've seen... Yeah. Oh, do go on. Do go on. No, no. You go ahead. Finish your what you're saying there. Well, it, it yeah. It, it, what what motivated me to say that was I, I saw some reportage about the Federal Reserve um, and U.S. Treasuries, which are also in trouble on the markets, and it's sort of emerging in the circles of you know what you know people who know what they're looking at that um, U.S. Treasuries are being bought up by uh, companies, corporations, banks, uh, and so on, buyers who are very closely linked to the Federal Reserve and U.S. Treasury. Um, so, you know, um, uh, I saw a commenter likening this to, uh, you know, eating your own vomit. Um, you can only survive off it for so long. It's it's not got the same nutritional value and it's not the same as being offered on the free market. So, um, yeah, that's a suspicion I'd have with uh, Israel that the, the debt is being um uh, bought up by um you know closely linked parties to shore up support for the israeli uh, uh economy in these uh, what are probably quite trying times um on balance I, I must give a point of balance um looking at the israeli economy their debt to gdp ratio uh, at least uh, at the start of this year was hovering around 60% 61% which is way below a lot of western nations including uk us uh, and many other nations so you you could say one one argument on the pro um side for israel there like uh, it's not as um, disastrous of a debt ratio. Um, and we know that if the debt ratio grows too large, um, you know, far beyond 100%, then, um, you know, you get a lot of suspicions about whether the economy can furnish uh, the ever expanding debt. Debt because once it's past 100% um, of GDP, there's no way that within a year the nation can pay off the debt if it was ever asked to. Um, but we also in the know know that uh, states aren't in the business of paying their debts. What they do is accrue debt and then default on the debt. And usually um, they host a large war or conflagration. Uh, so everybody looks in that direction whilst in the background they're uh, shredding the documents or shredding the currency, adding zeros on with a permanent marker and so on. And then suddenly the, the magic trick is done and uh, the currency has been reset. There's now a... Uh, a uh, new Bretton Woods arrangement or something like that. We've seen a lot of talk about Bretton Woods 2.0, um, you know, things like the Great Reset as well. And war gives a, a great cover for that. So um, as much as uh, Israel's debt is piling up, it's also not as big as, uh, let's say, the US's debt and uh, is in a similar 
uh, boat, I would say. I, I would really intertwine the US and Israel's uh, fates on many scores uh, to a very close degree, uh, including economic. And then domestically, so here's, so trying to, you know, pass the hat around domestically, they've managed to raise about 1 billion uh, U.S. in local markets in their sort of weekly bond auction. Their officials claim that the government can now fully operate its financial needs for the time being. But Netanyahu says it's going to be a long war. And I mm-hmm. spoke to military experts and people, you know, as well as Palestinians who are familiar with this, mm-hmm. the, the 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 arc of this crisis. They're, they're, they said that um, to 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 retake or to uh, you know defeat southern Gaza, you know, or even mm-hmm. northern Gaza, he said this is going to take you know months and months and months, maybe a couple of years. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, how long can they carry on? Basically, bleeding uh, or you know, lick, uh, devaluing, if you will, their own currency uh, in in their own economy, and the government mm-hmm. says they they can do this for uh, Netanyahu thinks they can wage this war for months and months, maybe longer, but the mm-hmm. the, the, the the sums just don't add up on this. So, mm-hmm. what does that mean? And this is what I was going to bring you, Blake, is this this idea that. Israel will get the they'll become the next Ukraine. In other words, a fully mm. subsidized state by the United States, the US just pumping money into it every month, covering the cost of government. And could Israel hold the US to ransom on this? Think of the political sway they have in America. Look at what Ukraine managed to parlay in direct funding. Uh, what's not to mm-hmm. say, Blake, that Israel can't do the same or even more? What do you yeah. think? Well, yeah, I, I would agree. And I would say that Israel historically has a lot more sway than Ukraine. So if you're making a direct comparison, Israel could fetch in the factor of uh, tens or hundreds of times more support, political capital, and therefore, you know, mon- financial and military capital um, from America it could exact a very high price. And as I said, they are incredibly intertwined. Their fates are intertwined. Um, and so um, America, you know, it's it's hard to see any situation where America doesn't backstop um, Israel, and that would be including debt, including military support, uh, and so on. Um, I would be more hesitant accepting um, Netanyahu at his word. I don't think he's a trustworthy person. I don't think he's playing an honest, open game of uh, diplomacy or, or geopolitics. He's a, you know, a cornered beast. Um, so he'll say anything to get uh, what he wants and what he wants is is something quite evil. Um, but uh, his assessment as well of a long war, I would agree with that assessment that um, to, you know, achieve in the same thread as they have been uh, their stated goal of uh, destroying Gaza, leveling Gaza, clearing Gaza of all Palestinians would take many, uh, many years. Um, but they don't need to take many years because, as we've mentioned before, they have the Samson option. They have nuclear weapons, could raise Gaza to the ground if uh, they saw fit. But um, balancing that is this massive global uprising, as you mentioned, of of support, um, galvanizing more and more against um not only uh, the Israeli, um, you know, the, the the IDF on the ground, but also the the kind of uh, uh, propaganda and and so on. Uh, I think the browbeating of uh, Jeremy Corbyn that I um, recently viewed the video of by uh, Piers Morgan. I think that won't sell well in the general public, even the pro 
um, Israel side, you know, it's easy to bash on Corbyn because he, he's been mega pro-Palestine for so long, but uh, it doesn't look good for your side when you're really just shouting down opponents or shouting down somebody who's trying to argue for a peace process on TV, uh, who also has the backing of tens or hundreds of thousands on the street. Um, and I think that maybe we might see a bit of a resurgence of the, the Corbynist uh, ilk. I definitely see things uh, realigning on that side in the UK, but that's kind of by the by as 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 we turn to like uh, real true geopolitics. I think uh, a more important node to look at is uh, Iran. Um, uh, Iran's foreign minister um, refusing to come out um, and say that Iran will be involved in military conflict in Israel um, because Anthony Blinken, the US uh, foreign secretary, or sorry, secretary of state has really been trying to like push the Iran button, um, which is, you know, an age old classic of the US foreign policy to try and provoke Iran and, and so on. But he said he's actually pointed at the economic cost um, uh, of war as the main reason to not go to war, as well as the political um, cost. If Iran went into Gaza, suddenly America would be, uh, you know, validated in its cause of putting boots on the ground there. But um, yeah, yeah, um, Mohammed Zarif, the uh, foreign minister of Iran, um, he said, so far, who has been harmed by the sanctions, referring to sanctions imposed by the West uh, on Iran's supposed nuclear weapons program, those who earn a few million dollars a day or poor people. And he's kind of leveling this claim that um, has permeated the conflict that, uh, you know, the rich get richer. We saw during um, the COVID years and so on. And we've seen now with uh, military industrial profits at all, all time highs, Raytheon, uh, Lockheed Martin, Boeing expanding their missile factory last week um, in the US. Um, you know, all of these record profits and yet the people suffering, uh, not only the regular Joes suffering from the pain of inflation of the US funding these these wars with, it, uh, with the devaluation of currency, um, but the poor people of um, Gaza, who have little to no water uh, access to healthcare and so on, which is a you know a markedly high level of poverty. Um, compare that to uh, Israel, who has a, a ballooning socialist uh, expenditure bill uh, so, uh, so high that it's rated at about two hundred and sixty million dollars a day um, to fund lots of its um, you know its total budget of spending right now. So. Um, it's kind of a really weird picture where there's exorbitant spending on one side and they're still claiming to be a victim and then there's poverty on the other side um and so as you said there is there does seem to be an awakening a broader consensus worldwide um which is a bit heartening to see um as long as we don't fall for the uh sort of divide and conquer culture war which is uh which does feel quite rampant at the moment too. Massively, um, massively. But just uh, just to tie off the Israeli uh, economic thing, um, they're looking at uh, a drop in tourism um, as much as 50% during this period. So that's going to translate to billions. Uh, it might also fuel unemployment, uh, perhaps. Yeah. So there's that problem as I wouldn't well. go to a what, I wouldn't go to a music festival in Israel, uh, at least you know for a couple of years. Yeah, I think you're not alone there. Um, the, the, they're also saying that this month in November, uh, they're going to be borrowing 75% more than back in October. And I would think this is going to continue in December, January. So that debt to GDP ratio is not looking for, is not going to look any better uh, in one, two or three months than it is 
uh, right now. And the other thing is, Blake, the final thing is, look at what they're spending, 230-odd million uh, a month. And and then look at what their opponent is spending or what resources their supposed opponent has. They have nothing. They literally have rudimentary weapons. They're fighting a guerrilla war. So Mm -hmm. Israel's bleeding money and also bleeding military equipment and they're running into the same problem ukraine did is it's not just yeah. they, you don't just need the bombs you need uh they, they need to replace they need to train coat they need equipment they need all sorts of other stuff so the, the bill just keeps the more you're at war the bill just mm-hmm. goes up and up and up to maintain the cohesion of a of a major big modern military organization it costs mm-hmm. a lot more money than just the cost of the weapons so mm-hmm. so their opponent hezbollah uh hamas um they're not really spending much they're and they haven't really fought that much but israel is just basically hemorrhaged so much in the last five weeks so can they act is it you know is is it actually sustainable to do this even for another three months i'm gonna say it doesn't look good here and and only if the u.s come to bail it out but then the u.s bailed out ukraine blake for like Mm -hmm. the last year and a half and where has it gotten ukraine they're not winning so this formula yeah. just doesn't work. There's, so I, I I really think there's going to be some serious problems uh, that they're going to face here. So they got yeah. off to a, a, a wild start. They're bombing everything. They're blowing it all up. They're, they're doing victory laps about how much destruction and mayhem they've caused in Gaza. But, you know, are they, are they actually going to win, you know, the long-term victory? Is it actually sustainable? And people are beginning to realize that it's not. Blake but mm-hmm. uh, your final thoughts and we'll move on to the to the bigger macro yeah yeah for sure uh, uh I don't think it's going to be a long war uh I've written in my notes here is it even a war at all um if it's you know one side indiscriminately bombing civilian areas with no military um you know targets within that that's not a war that's something else it's war crimes um you know uh to varying degrees so it's not a, it's not a symmetrical war in the slightest so i wouldn't even liken it to a, a regular war and then yes to get the uh, israeli military machine going takes a lot of uh fuel it takes a lot of technical expertise you know i liken it to maybe a large mech suit or something like that some large piece of armory that it takes all of this uh, know-how to get going. All the computers are, are loaded up, warmed up. It's all ready to go. And then it's fighting, you know, kind of child soldiers. And these child soldiers are running around its feet and it's unable to, like, lock on its high-tech missiles or whatever. And eventually that thing's going to run itself out because it's way out uh, inordinately large and inefficient. It's a very bureaucratic system, uh, um, the military industrial complex. And the only way it keeps funding is perpetual war. And because this isn't a symmetrical war with a consistent justification, you know, they tried to claim they found an Arabic copy of Mein Kampf in a basement somewhere to liken it to Nazis to then hark back to a World War II ideology, which is also, what, 70 years in the past. So, um it's it's kind of falling uh, on all fronts, which makes me think it's not going to be a long conflict. And I'm I'm sort of pleased to see moves towards ceasefires and and this uh, uh, swapping of hostages because I think that uh, really pulls one of the very few um, moral causes or justifications for this war out from underneath. Uh, you know the war maker, the war mongers. Um, 
And yeah, I, I did mention that the GDP ratio didn't look as bad as the US's, but your debt as a sovereign nation is only as good as trust in the nation. So you could still have 60, 70 percent debt to GDP. But if nobody's going to furnish that debt, it doesn't matter because then you're not getting the privileged deals and so on. And we've seen uh, a massive uptick in the uh, BDS movement, the boycott, divestment and san sanctions. Uh, and when that starts hitting McDonald's's bottom line, we've seen empty McDonald's in Ankara. I think then suddenly we're going to see the uh, ship start turning a bit quicker uh, the and the tide start shifting. I agree. I agree that the, the boycotts and you're probably going to see sanctions. Look at what the Belgium deputy PM has been proposing in the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, she wants to break off, you know, economic ties with Israel yeah. to, to punish it. I mean, and, and why not? Because look at what they did yeah. to Russia for basically nothing in not even the league of what Israel's done in terms of targeting Indeed. civilians and so stuff like that. So it is mm -hmm. bringing that conversation back into balance internationally, um, despite the tragedy that we've had to endure and what's unfolding for the people in Palestine. No doubt about that. I'm with Blake Lovewell, a writer and also a trusted financial pundit as well. We're going to take a break here, however, with TNT, today's news talk. And on the other side, we'll resume this conversation looking at the macro. And by the way, what's happening to the U.S. economy? A lot of people say the harbingers of a major calamity are on the horizon we'll talk about that more with blake on the other side i'm patrick henningson your host stay there de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective well our girl greta is at it again except she might have just hung herself with her own rope now what rope is that well she wants to get into political activity she's trying to parallel what's going on with israel and palestine with climate change. In fact, this is exactly how they work. They try to link things together, and yet there's some people in the climate community that don't like this at all. As a matter of fact, they resent her doing that because after all, whether they're right or wrong, climate is important to them. But let me tell you what the common denominator of what people like Greta Thunberg are doing is. They don't know all the facts. She certainly does not know the history, which extends back to April. Abraham, by the way, of how this whole problem got going over there. She has no idea. And she certainly does not have any idea of the seven, eight, nine, in fact, probably infinite amount of counters to her climate change stance. So consequently, these people are getting these very loud voices and they're based on ignorance. And the big question is, is how can a society and how can people that need facts, confront facts, have the freedom to do so, how can they survive when the voices that are yelling and screaming the loudest are coming from ignorance? Ponder that question for a while. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. The thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then it kind of starts to work itself out. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third generation race car driver. And we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. 
It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. My character Shazam knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to this live broadcast. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you for rejoining us. We're in the final segment of the final hour here on TNT, today's News Talk. We're going to try to get Dr. Jean Arrington uh, in a geopolitical analyst based in Europe, um, Turkish background to talk about Gaza. We're going to pro- probably try to reschedule, uh, Dr. Dr. Jean, uh, in on Wednesday. So we'll see if we can, uh, bring him in for that segment as well. But, um, anyway, meanwhile, we have Blake Lovewell on the line right now. Blake Lovewell is a writer at 21st century wire. He is also a keen, uh, financial, uh, observer and pundit and uh, observer of all things in crypto as well. Blake, what mm-hmm. are the signs right now? Everybody's been waiting for this Black Monday. Uh, the October surprise came in, well, it came in a different sort of form, didn't it, in the Middle East? But uh, the financial fundamentals are equally as shaky today as they were before October 7th. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on this? Well, the shaking continues, I'd say, uh, and I'd also love uh, uh, Dr. Emirtan's, uh, uh view on this uh, with the Turkish perspective too, because uh, you know Turkey was in the throes of uh, you know unsteady economy, but under Erdogan and the sort of hard hardening of the hard line, um, you know the uh, ascension of the Islam Islamism uh, and particularly um, Turkey's, uh, you know, uh, balance of power with uh, Israel in the region. It would be super interesting to get a perspective on that. But um, if we're looking at the USA, we know uh, we've had Moody's come out just this week and, uh, you know, uh, downgrade their forecast for US uh, Treasury yields, which uh, kind of makes a uh, quite a large group of ratings agencies uh the the you know the pseudo independent uh, uh agencies in charge of rating uh debt remember these are the same agencies that said uh that the uh, subprime mortgages were safe to trade and then uh oops the money's gone um but these rating agencies have downgraded uh the outlook f- for U.S. Um, sovereign debt. So if um, uh, the U.S. is trying to sell these treasury bills on the open market, um, it doesn't look great for them. Um, now, economics is extremely complicated because um, despite the fact that there is this growing uh, loss of faith, I would say it's kind of like there's a leak or a few leaks in the bottom of the bucket uh, for faith in the U.S. as a sovereign state. Um, we've yet to see those um, burst out in in terms of uh, a rash or boils, but we could say that the sickness has really set in um, in America. We've got uh, inflation is not really under control, uh, and the U.S. as I as I mentioned in the first half is is 
using uh you know alternative buyers uh to buy up all of this debt but you know if you're using your credit card to pay off your um mortgage and then your uh, payday loans to pay off the credit card and so on you're spinning a lot of uh, very fragile uh, porcelain plates and it only takes one falter one uh, missed payment uh one more um regional bank collapse to uh really pop the bubble and i i think uh right now we're entering a bit of a hyper inflationary phase if you're looking at um us treasury yields that is um but this does paint a very interesting picture uh gold um and bitcoin the last few days have remained very steady um at high levels historically high levels i mean bitcoin's actually uh you know as king of the cryptos is uh definitely doing quite well it's still not back to its uh, all-time high but i think that all-time high was a, a, a speculative burst and not a, more of an aberration but now if we're looking at the long-term trends it seems to be uh uh gaining momentum uh such that a steamroller uh will gain falling down a gradual incline uh and you wouldn't want to get in front of that steamroller so you know if you're hedging i wouldn't bet against the uh the increase in price uh, of bitcoin particularly as a as an inflation hedge i've heard from um non expert uh friends uh in cryptocurrency that people that they view it as an inflation hedge um which for me is a big sign that um things uh, are really reaching a bit of a peak you know when when uh, these concepts which were fringe economic concepts are breaking into the uh, the zeitgeist again um despite all of the um downplaying after sbf and the and the whole crisis there um of cryptocurrency and and crypto assets and so on um so it's a very interesting time um regarding the sort of uh, alternative currencies and uh, we know it's from our research is that, that there's a big um, background power struggle for different cbdc's um the imf have their own um system in place with uh, special drawing rights sdr or also known as bancor a sort of a one world currency made up of all of the world currencies but they're trying to move a, a digital form of that we've got all these different nations proposing cbdc's but then we've got um bond vigilantes and rebels in the crypto markets trying to find uh, uh ways to get off the ride uh, and still retain some of their purchasing power yeah what 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 are the highs on bitcoin uh blake uh what are we talking about at the moment it's it's looking at about 37 and a half thousand US dollars per bitcoin wow. uh, it reached peak it reached peaks of 38,000 which is actually uh up about 10,000 or you know 20% uh on last month or to on a two month time period so uh from this year it started this year in the in the low 20,000 so uh it's not quite doubled but it's definitely up a, a huge amount uh and compared to the Nasdaq which has been having you know um it had 12 straight weeks of profit i believe and mm -hmm. And this week was the first week it dropped out of that profit. Um, I mean, the returns are kind of insane still in crypto, even though we're not seeing those, um, you know, speculative alternative coins uh, doing 1000x, which I think wasn't very healthy for the ecosystem anyway. Um, but we're seeing definitely this uh, slow moving move towards ETFs, um, you know, uh, the, the stock marketization of Bitcoin's price. Um, uh is now enabling more people to get involved without having direct 
um, exposure to Bitcoin, which is very complicated for tax purposes, um, particularly with the US Treasury trying to say that you're going to have to pay um, unrealized gains. Mm. So if you're holding Bitcoin and not even buying or selling it, um, if it's in, in a private wallet and it increases in dollar relative price, then the US claims a percentage of said profit, um, which is kind of a complete uh, throwing away of the rule book of uh, financial history, but uh, is totally uh, on on in tune with the rest of the uh, overbearing nature of this uh, um, uh, empire in decline as it tries to scrape any value out of its assets and use any of its uh, um, powers as a as a police state to uh, extract value from its uh, sub supplicants. Yeah, unrealized gains. So it's just like total capital gains. Uh, even if you're not selling, even if you haven't actually registered the profit, you're just holding it, putting capital gains on investments. I mean, if you called it an investment, they don't do they do they do that for stock portfolios? I don't it's, think it's so. never it's, it's never been done. No, yeah, it's it's not a, it's not. It hasn't been uh, established as a policy yet, but it's coming out of Janet Yellen's mouth. And while she's alive and while she's in, in a position of power, you do have to listen to them as much as you can laugh it off, shrug it off. Mm -hmm. um, that That is one side of the argument and the debate. And uh, there are sensible voices and there are uh, actually strong pro voices in, in terms of uh, RFK Jr., uh, I know that since he's uh, come out so strongly uh, on on one side in the Israel uh, Gaza conflict, he may be a, uh, a a name who's fallen out of favor, but he's definitely a voice uh, among many uh, of, of sort of rebellious, um, high level American politicians who will at least talk about uh, the merits of uh, Bitcoin and alternatives to the debt based system. So at least on that subject, I mean, it's worth listening to. Uh, Note, noting that that is shifting the debate in the public eye at least uh, i'm pretty i'm pretty i'm blown away by the 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 rally on bitcoin so uh it is concomitant with inflation so it is a hedge for against inflation so are we exactly beginning, are, are we beginning it, it to describes see yeah. e economic fundamentals with bitcoin uh along the lines of let's say another custodial asset like gold perhaps well it it's it's um gold is heavily manipulated by paper gold the existence of paper gold um in the same way that fiat currency um could lay a thousand claims to the same uh, gold coin it could lay ten thousand claims to the same gold coin okay uh, so you can't really trust gold price overtly unless you're looking at sort of um actual uh buying price that people buy gold bullion for on the street sort of over the counter but it's very hard and i, I know there's, there's there'll be gold bugs out there who are kind of screaming this that and the, the other about how, uh, gold price um, but if we're looking at the sort of uh, well-publicized gold prices, they've stayed stable just below the sort of two thousand uh, dollars uh, an ounce mark, a troy ounce. Um, and we've yet to see gold explode in the same way that Bitcoin has. And I think that's because it's uh, harder to move into real gold than it is to move into Bitcoin because you can mm. you can just have a, an app on your phone and three taps and you've got the Bitcoin. So, so, I mean, it, so you're saying that uh, the, all that paper, uh, all those uh, fiat paper claims to gold, uh, you know, gold uh, security, gold uh, funds and whatever, mm -hmm. you know, that the gold dealers are issuing, um, you know, so you're not buying physical gold, you're buying a sort of uh, a piece of paper um, and a claim that they'll redeem, you can redeem it for whatever the value of the bullion is. The same with silver, by the way. So you're saying all of that is suppressing the price of gold and silver? 
Yeah, it's definitely distorting it because um, if ever the price goes up, people are selling the paper paper gold. If the price goes down, you know, and certain actors in the gold market can do it. I mean, you you could you could read a whole um, you know big thick novel and only just scratch the surface of the gold market. That's something that's been going on for thousands of years. So I wouldn't consider myself informed, but it's easy to see how uh, heavily manipulated the gold price is. So it's very hard to see gold uh, in terms of dollars on a market as a, a hedge against inflation in the same way that you you made that link there that uh, inflation has risen to a similar degree that gold has been booming uh, sorry bitcoin has been uh, booming and that's an argument for digit uh, gold uh, sorry uh, bitcoin as digital gold mm-hmm. um i don't i wouldn't say that all the way because a trend is one thing and then one year later we could look at a bitcoin having 10x or completely collapsed and we could say it's not digital gold but um there's definitely an argument right now since it's uh, it's definitely decoupled pulled from the stock market and uh, there was definitely two or three years where um, the price of Bitcoin was really tightly uh, coupled with the stock market when you had the kind of Wall Street uh, you know, uh, amateurs getting involved, uh, the sort of small fry getting involved and buying up GME, the GameStop stock mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Then everyone was trying to make a quick buck on the stock market and crypto in the same uh, breath, basically. And we've seen a historic, for Bitcoin terms, decoupling of Bitcoin from the stock market. And now, like you said, we're seeing a, a correlation definitely with inflation. And um, there there is some institutional uh, backing to that in terms of ETFs, as I mentioned, but there isn't massive evidence of institutional buying, nor is there evidence of massive sovereign uh, investment in stuff like uh, Bitcoin mining or anything like that. I think what we're seeing here is a a, a, a semi-organic uh, raising of the price of Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll keep we'll keep an eye for you know, swings and roundabouts there and you know it's still it's still getting it's still finding its feet you know uh you consider how long it's been take taken for the dollar or even like you know uh, credit cards uh and things like this all these sort of revolutions in sort of payment and savings and in the sort of western monetary system they take decades and decades and decades to find their feet right uh, so Bitcoin's relatively young in that respect. So, uh, will it'll be very interesting to see, of course, uh, you know how how it reacts and whether there's another dip. Uh, a lot of people are saying it's just going to climb to fifty thousand now. Um, certainly, there's a lot of people that probably are now kicking themselves that they didn't get into Bitcoin when it was below twenty, uh, not so mm. long ago. But that's just the nature. <laughs> that's the nature yeah. of the game these days. But um, totally. yeah. So look. Um, we got just got a couple minutes left. We're going to wrap up this uh, this segment and also this program, Blake. I really appreciate your insights there. Uh, your final thoughts? Are there any other things that we need to keep an eye on that you see things that are worth mentioning on the horizon here? Um, on the hor- on the horizon, well, I saw. Uh, oh man, there's too much to talk about topics I'm not an expert on. But I saw a, a really interesting piece come out about uh, the U.S. and U.K. Uh, um, uh, using mechanized soldiers, and this also included research into military gene modification of soldiers too. And I think as we're seeing this uh, emergence of a, a new war order, there's a new article title perhaps, but um, uh, we should we should really watch out for the uh, the malfeasances and be able to punish them uh, suitably. We shouldn't let the uh, war crimes of any state or personal group go unpunished and unnoticed because um, 
justice dies in the dark. So, uh, yeah, to all those people out there pushing uh, for whatever side it is, just keep up the good fight. Justice dies in the dark. So, uh, yeah, to all those people out there pushing uh, for whatever side it is, just keep up the good fight. That's as good advice as you can give right now. Keep up the good fight. Keep up the good fight on the information war front. Everybody here listening at TNT, everybody in the TNT chat room, you guys are also part of that front line. We salute you. We appreciate your listenership. Thank you, Blake Lovewell, for joining us on TNT this week. Cheerio. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. You can also see his work up at 21stCenturyWire.com, Blake Lovewell. And also a big thanks to Basil Valentine, host of Compass with Basil Valentine. That's also on TNT, today's news talk, Monday to Friday, 12 p.m. UK time. Your international news digest, so tune in with Basil every day. I certainly do. That helps to keep me abreast of what's going on in the world. And we hope that you'll tune in to this program, The Patrick Anderson Show, uh, coming up for the rest of the week. we got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, powerful broadcast lined up tomorrow and the days after so you do want to tune in so be there or be nowhere i'm patrick henningson your host top of the hour news headlines